views expressed during this show are mine and my co-host alone and not reflective of any particular political party or organization. Welcome to this week's episode of Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue here in the Woodlands. My name is Amy Hamrick-Lewis, and I represent the blue. I'm the incoming chair for the Montgomery County Democratic Party. And usually with me is Brian Crist, the incoming chair for the County Republican Party, but he is not here this week. So I'd like to introduce Sean Thompson, who's a local conservative. Would you like to give a little bit of background? Uh, absolutely. I'm a Woodlands area resident, have been for the last 15 years or so. Uh, uh, I tend to vote Republican in, in primaries and generals, uh, but of course I uh, grew up all over the world very fortunate as a military brat, so uh, I'm open to uh, different points of view, cultures, and integrate them into my own personal ethic. Great. Well, uh, Brian and I had originally uh, talked about doing a little bit of more of an educational mm-hmm. piece about the nonpartisan elections that are coming up. So we'll start with that. Sounds great. Uh, feel free to jump in uh, whenever. But so for everyone who's watching and listening, the term is now open to file for a place on any of the nonpartisan uh, races that will be on the ballot this November. Generally, we have a May election that has a significant number of nonpartisan elections, and then we have a few that happen at the same time as the regular elections in November. Mm -hmm. And due to COVID, all of the May elections were canceled, and now they were all happening in November. So things that you're normally used to voting on in May, like a lot of the school board races, especially Conroe ISD, will be on your November ballot. There's usually mud races in May. Those will be in November as well. So, again, those are nonpartisan. Anybody can run. And on the ballot, it does not say anything about your political affiliation whatsoever. Everybody is just listed by name only. So those uh, applications to be on the ballot are due by August 17th, 5 p.m. that day. Now, how do you file for a nonpartisan race? Well, they're called local political subdivisions, and that basically means anybody who can charge you taxes on your yearly tax bill is a political subdivision. The school board charges you taxes, the your mud board, your water charge and sewer charges you taxes, the hospital district in the county charges you taxes, Lone Star charges taxes, and so all of these entities hold their own elections. So if you want to run as a director on the Montgomery County Hospital Board, you have to go to that hospital board's office to get the application. It's generally the same application everywhere. You can actually download it from the Secretary of State's website, the Texas Secretary of State, and fill it out, but you have to file it with that entity. The Woodlands, you have to go to the Woodlands Township, and so on. And so you can uh, look, if you're interested in any of these races, I encourage you to go to the website of the entity that you're looking uh, to run for and just make sure that you meet all of their qualifications. They're all generally the same, but there are a few differences here and there. Including residency, lack of felonious conviction. Yes, good, uh, not moral character, but you can't be more mentally incompetent. But so generally you have to have lived in the district, the political subdivision for six months in Texas for a year. Every once in a while, again, somebody will have an outlying qualification, but that's generally the same the thing. Uh, I believe most of the incorporated cities in the county have city council elections and corresponding mayoral elections. So those are mm-hmm. big ticket items. Um, so 
Lone Star Groundwater Conservation yes, District. Yes, that's a that's a fairly new one. Off school boards, as you mentioned. Yep. One thing I always encourage people, if you feel like you really want to give back to your community, but you're not ready to take a bigger step of a partisan election, that's something that might be full-time, these nonpartisan races are a great entryway into being more active in your community. With the exception of maybe like Conroe City Council, these are not full-time positions. They're one to two meetings a month that are for the the main business of the position and then you may have some committee meetings along the way as well. For instance, anytime you're on a city council or the Woodlands Township, you also belong to other committees for that entity like um, business development right. or something, economic development, things like that. You do usually do not have to have any official accreditation in any type of field except that for a few of these positions on the committees, I believe like Oak Ridge, don't quote me, I could be having the city wrong, but I think it's Oak Ridge, says if you're going to be on like the business economic development board, you need to be in a certain type of business. That kind of thing. Logical reason. Right. But to be on the Lone Star Groundwater Conservation, you do not have to have an engineering background. You do not have an engineering background to be on a mud board. It's helpful, I wouldn't lie, but you don't have to, it's not a requirement. Amy, if I may, also mm -hmm. on a lot of these nonpartisan races, uh, or uh, as you said, uh, not only are they a great way for almost like John Everyman to be able to do something, but the uh, the chance of actually gaining that office aren't that much out of reach. Right. It's uh, it very funny. I noticed in last uh, mud elections, there was actually a five-way, uh, didn't go runoff, they had to redo it because every candidate got two votes. Yeah. So I'm thinking of... <laughs> It was that candidate and that candidate's spouse, and if only but one of them had gotten their next-door neighbor to vote for them, it would have been... Exactly. So you can have a five-way mud district race yep. with only two votes on the line. <laughs> so you, you are capable. This is not, oh, one day when I grow up, I want to be president or something. Exactly. This is, you could get, get that directorship easily, more easily than possibly getting on your own HOA board. Actually, yes. Yes, for sure. And I also want to say, too, especially with things like the mud board... It sounds scary, and you think this has a technical job, and you know what? I don't know what I'll be doing. And yes, to some extent, you are responsible for signing off on budgets. You are responsible for helping get contracts for infrastructure. But you're one of five or one of seven people. It, nothing would ever be entirely on your shoulders. And protocols are established. There are exactly. rules and regs. There are bylaws. You right. have the, your white folder right there in front of you your binder with everything you need to know. Exactly. And most of these entities have a paid staff that do the bulk of the work for the district, mm -hmm. that they're working, you know, a regular nine to five, five days a week paid job. And so you're making sure that they're doing their job, but you're not instructing them on how to do their job. Right. So you can't go into it thinking you're going to make a huge difference on the school board because, again, you're one of seven. But then again, it gives you time to learn the position because yes. you can't mess up our kids' education for the rest of their lives. Um, and that's a very good point. I think to know the jurisdiction and the scope of the office for which you seek is vital. If right. you're running for school board trustee, you don't get to handle the budget or what goes in the school books that year or choose curricula. Right. Uh, so please be versed if you do decide to do this. Uh, right. As you said, find out your entities. 
that have the elections, right. then find out exactly what the scope of that right. office is. Yeah. And some of these, depending on the level of responsibility and the, the scope, as you said, there's training involved also. So for instance, the school board has a very structured training program. They have a flat out orientation, I think, on they day one. They have a flat out orientation mm -hmm. and you need a certain number of hours every year or every term that you're on the school board. So that is especially for this because I think I think you will probably agree that and I think city councils are the most important ones um, I would have to as agree far with as the yes. largest scope. Because mm -hmm. I mean you of course you are shaping kids' future. So there is training provided. And um, and even like for city council there's there's trainings um, some are mandatory, some are not. So you have resources to help you. And again, if you think maybe 2020 is too soon, I do encourage you, if you have something you have an interest in, start going to those board meetings. You can watch them online. All of them um, are online, some live, some taped and shown after the fact. The minutes are always available, mm -hmm. but nothing really beats being in person because Agreed. things go on. For good or ill. Yeah. <laughs> You get to see how the sausage is made. Exactly. Things go on behind the scenes and maybe don't happen on camera, but also you get to talk to the people directly. And you get to talk to your constituents that show up. And, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So mm -hmm. those are the people that, that tend to have the issues that need to be addressed. And they're going to show up at these meetings. So it's good if you say, well, you know what? I think I really like living in Shenandoah. I don't have a lot of issues here. But I wonder what everybody else thinks. We'll mm -hmm. go to those Shenandoah City Council meetings, and the people that have problems, that's where they're going to be showing up, and you can talk to them. And not an insignificant number of these positions are on two-year terms. Right. So if you do miss 2020, if you miss the filing deadline, if you don't watch this till August 18th <laughs> and you go, dang it, there are still, within two years, there are some positions that, that are, will be reopened. Exactly. Exactly. So I hope that uh, people get interested and get involved. I have myself learned a lot about the inner workings of all these different uh, entities throughout Montgomery County over the past four or five years, and it's really been an eye-opener. Mm -hmm. so. Well, congratulations on your impending precinct Thank you. chairship. Thank you. Yeah, if this comes out Monday most across most platforms, I'll be swearing in Tuesday evening, mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to that. And then we swear in our new term of precinct chairs. Okay. Brian and I talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, so they have already been uh, elected. Um, they were on the March primary ballot, and then we will elect as a body our officers for the county party for the next two years. So that's always awesome. that's always great. Yeah, so it's always an exciting time. And as this term wraps or ramps up, one thing that's that's getting ready is the new budget fiscal year yes. for everybody around. So the Woodlands Township is working on their budget. I spent this week, and it's not quite finished because we're taping Thursday afternoon, with the Commissioner's Court and their budget workshops. So that is always an education. Yes. Um, talk about how the sausage is made. And I'm sure you've covered this before, but the County Commissioner's Court is indeed to parse out county budget. Right. So they handle the budget for everything county-related. Some things I had no idea were was county-related before I started to get involved several years ago. And then the rest of the year, you know, they handle the contracts for getting things done. And, you right. know, they, they handle the business of the county. They are run, and Brian and I mentioned this earlier, they are uh, 
run by and overseen by the county judge, which is not actually a judicial judge. Correct. He's more like a CEO. I guess I'm not a uh, person. Out, outside CEO. of a situation like this, they're called city managers <laughs> yeah, okay, in, yep. in many Perfect. areas. And these are all partisan positions. The county judge was last elected in 2018, so mm-hmm. he will not be on 2020. But if you live in Commissioner Precinct 3 or Commissioner Precinct 1, mm-hmm. you will see your commissioner up for re-election. And these do rotate like that, so you never have all four positions up exactly. at the same because time. that would be disastrous. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so I thought we could have a little discussion as Democrat versus Republican or mm-hmm. liberal versus conservative on what you feel and what I feel should be included in a county budget. Because this, I last year was the first year that I followed the budget process from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. So this is my second year. And I was a little bit shocked at the opinions of some of the commissioners about what they thought should not be included in the county budget. And I think it's something that people don't always give a lot of thought to until Mm -hmm. it's taken away. So I'll start with something that was very uh, public last year. During the budget workshop, Commissioner Nowak, who is very conservative and who is... uh, say sponsored by, but he's (laughs) kind of the favorite of the local Tea Party group, wanted to do away with, and I'm going to use a general term, funding of nonprofit organizations Mm -hmm. with the county budget. Now, that term is a little bit misleading in his favor because a certain group of people thought that meant that the county was donating to charity. Mm-hmm. And that is not at all what happens with this process. There are certain functions that are carried out by organizations that are legally and fiscally considered nonprofit organizations. Right. They're not overseen by the county, um, they, but they're not for-profit organizations like, I don't know, Baker Hughes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they're on a different fiscal structure with the IRS, which means that they can accept donations from private citizens and that they function largely on donations, either whether it's for private individuals or from government grants and, you know, programs like that. But again, the county's still not just giving them money. They write up a contract and the county says, we expect you to do X, Y, and Z service. And upon completion, we will pay you this amount of money. It's just like if you hired a contractor to repave a road. You have a a bid that says, I will do this, these things to repave the road, and you're going to pay me X, Y, Z. But it's not a for-profit contractor. And so the services that they provide do tend to be more along the lines of community development or community improvement versus something like infrastructure, something that's a little bit more objective. Mm -hmm. So the four main ones that they had issues with last year, if I can get these right, are the Crisis Assistance Center. Community Assistance Center now. Yes, they had the name change, right? (laughs) Guys, pick a name. Right? Love you guys, but... Um, The Women's Shelter, Montgomery County Women's Shelter, Montgomery County Youth Services Mm -hmm. under the uh, Yes to Youth. youth. I'm not sure which is the the main name and which is the umbrella. Um, I think it's like soda and pop. Yeah. (laughs) And Meals on Wheels. Yes. So there's a wide range of 
we're, of money that we're talking about. The women's shelter is on the low end. I believe they get $15,000, maybe somewhere in that range, up to about $400,000 for ESD youth. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Nowak did not believe that the county should be funding nonprofit organizations. And he made that very clear through the whole process. And he had made that very clear in, in prior commissioner report uh, sessions, even when the budget wasn't on the table, that this was not something he believed in. He has made many comments along the line of wanting to privatize as many things in the, in the government as possible. And this would go along with that. Mm -hmm. So when they came up with the, the funding, basically it was, it was pretty much let's for 2020, fiscal year 20, let's do basically what we did for fiscal year 19. There wasn't a lot of increase. I'm sure it wasn't the very penny to the penny, same dollar amount, but it was very much in the ballpark. Mm -hmm. And most of the court was going along with that. And then Commissioner Nowak said, no, I, I don't think we should do this. I think they need to, to start moving towards a position where they are self-funded or they're self-fundraising and they should not be dependent on county money. Now, in the budget workshop, there is a portion of time at the beginning where the public has public comment, but not in the midst of negotiations. So and you go into so, the negotiations with all input already pre-established. Exactly. Okay. Now, in some years, the nonprofits have been allowed to come and state their cases. All the county department heads and elected officials can come and state their cases, and there is back and forth. They, mm -hmm. It is very much a two-way conversation. Last year, they were not invited, the nonprofits. They were able to give written defense of their budgets, but they could not come to the budget workshop. They would have not, they were allowed to be present in the audience, but they were not allowed to speak. But they weren't given exact, even exact notice of when they were, so they didn't know to show up that day, even just to be a presence in the room. Okay. So, there was a lot of discussion. There was a lot of inaccuracies thrown again around. Again, Noak kept comparing it to donating to like the American Red, not even the American Red Cross. Who did he use? A diabetic foundation, uh, a national. I forget the exact name of the National Diabetes Foundation, but and it's it's that's apples and oranges. It really, really is. But he was trying to make the argument that it's charity, and and people, the taxpayers should decide where they want their their charitable donations to go to. So I'm sitting in the room, I get on Facebook, as I do, and put a blast out that they are preparing to defund the nonprofits. And what they decided to do that day, and they made it official at the end of the week in actual commissioner's court, was to give the nonprofits half of what they asked for, and then told them to come back in the mid-year, in March, and they, if there was money at the time, then they would continue the funding. I recall this, yes. Part of the problem with that is that they rely on large grants from large donation uh, corporations and the federal government. And the only way to qualify and be awarded those is to show that you have sufficient funding for the year. They're not going to give you a large outlay of money if you're going to shutter your doors in three months. And so only having six months of revenue from these entities that have always funded them put their whole grant process yes. in jeopardy. So we started a firestorm of 
community support in favor of the nonprofits, which I was really proud of how Montgomery County came together. And it was bipartisan. It was Republicans. It was Democrats. It was independents. It was people who had never thought about any of this before. I mean, taking Meals on Wheels money away, it had already been cut in the federal budget. And then to take it from the local level is just devastating, thinking of the seniors that would not get medical care. I mean, food, but also medical care because they do help them get to um, doctor's visits and things like that. And so the commissioners, once the once Commissioner Riley and Commissioner Metter and Commissioner Metz found out what it would do to their overall funding, Commissioner Metz put it on the agenda for the next court. Let's just go ahead and make the money happen. Mm -hmm. And they did, against the objections of Commissioner Nowak and Judge Keogh. Mm -hmm. And so they were funded for the year. But that really started a debate with what should be part of the county budget and what shouldn't. Yes. And my feeling as a Democrat, as a liberal, is that that is a major, integral, vital part of government is to take care of the most needy in our communities. And that's what these organizations do. And again, they're doing it in, they're doing it on a contractual basis. You can see yes to youth does this program with runaways and these are the number of runaways they've helped. And this is the amount of money that they've saved the County. They actually saved the County. I, I don't want to throw out a dollar amount and be wrong, but if they had to take care of these services themselves, the county would be paying more money than they do to yes. youth. Um, and so I strongly believe that it's these type of services that we need, that the government should be funding, and that they should be expanded, if, if anything, and definitely not reduced. And this year, they did keep their funding level at the same year as last year, so I was very happy to see Great. Yeah. What are your feelings about things? Amy, what a fascinating topic. <laughs> and I, I speak as a resident of Precinct 3, mm -hmm. so Commissioner Nomak is, is my commissioner. That being said, I can't presume to know his thought processes. So anything that I opine here is my personal take, sure. which may or may not necessarily reflect <laughs> anyone else's opinions. Also, I am heavily, heavily, heavily involved in love with numerous nonprofits. Mm -hmm. uh, they are essential for civilization, period, end Absolutely. of subject. So with that in mind, I can give my perspective on this particular budgeting issue, which I'm formulating off the top of my head. I may stop in the middle of a sentence <laughs> as I realize I'm digging a hole for myself. And again, not knowing the workings behind, uh, the reasonings behind Commissioner Nowak or Judge Keogh or anyone else. So with the nonprofit organization, yes, many of them essential for community services, especially in Montgomery County. I don't believe Montgomery County wastes its nonprofit juju on not necessary <laughs> events. Uh, CASA, Yes to Youth, CAC, um, you name it, uh, even down to, to theaters. Mm -hmm. And so I can take that, that when we blanket nonprofits, yes, there are many that are community driven. There are many that are artistically driven or educationally driven. And I believe this could be where the, the disconnect has happened that, uh, and I've been having this discussion much with, with typically younger people who say, and I have a, bear with me on this one, they'll say, you know, the president or the you know, Congress needs to institute a national lockdown. Everyone has to stay at home for two weeks. To which my response is, 
okay, how do you eat? And they say, well, we'd let the food deliverers come. Well, then you can't have a law which says, okay, only these people are affected by it, not that. It's it's kind of an all or nothing on paper, if that makes sense. You, you can't pick and choose uh, equal citizens. Okay, you're more important than you, so this law does not apply to you. So same thing with a nonprofit organization, that to have city, county, or any kind of governmental thumbs up to, to a group of nonprofits, and one of those nonprofits may not necessarily reflect what the elected representative, whether he be a county commissioner, county judge, city council member, board director, what that person would deem the values or wishes for that representative's, uh, uh, um, not, oh Lord, I lost the word, constituency. So it's easy to say, well, let's just knock them all off the board. If I can't pick and choose, or if I'm in danger of my name gets attached to a nonprofit that, you know, let's say uh, I love animals, but PETA is on the list and news comes about PETA, but it could be embarrassing. That could be one of the reasons. Hand in hand with that, with nonprofits, and I'm on the board of two different community theaters right now. I used to work at the Houston Nares Literacy Coalition. So again, the scramble for grants and capital campaigns and public and private donations and sponsorships is an ongoing issue. In fact, uh, there is a, uh, a nonprofit that I'm involved with that provides counseling for first responders in need, and they are hurting now. And unfortunately, right now, we're in COVID era. Mm -hmm. Everyone's hurting across the board, but no one more, I think, than nonprofits. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely, and they are scrambling. In ordinary world time, it is incumbent upon that nonprofit to basically be the loudest voice, the squeakiest wheel, the, the hand raised the highest, to say, you need to give to us, ExxonMobil, Halliburton, Texas Children's, because of A, B, or C. And it's incumbent on them, so not so much, I don't want to say government bailout, because that's trite, but to rely on the government to an extent does not help that nonprofit in its other fundraising campaigns. So, hand in hand with that, what you said about the compromise that was reached, I personally find was no compromise whatsoever. Uh, not only do grants sought include what are your plans, but also when you have your, your annual fundraiser, most uh, nonprofits have a fundraiser. They have to plan it. They have to say, we need to raise this much. You, don't, you have no idea if that's going to be there or not. So I believe... You know what they say about the road to hell. I believe this compromise was a, hey, you know, let's kick this can. Let's think about this later. Let's just give them their money now and, and come back. That is not, in my personal opinion, the best way to handle this. Uh, so what's the answer? Because we can say, okay, here's a problem here. And I think we kind of agree this issue. If I had my direct phone line conversation with Commissioner Novak now, I would be very vocal about nonprofits should not be touched. If you look at the nonprofits here and what they do. So as a result, I believe it would be incumbent for the representatives of these nonprofits to now kick it into high gear, especially as every penny definitely counts. Because, again, the county budget is slashed. So many campaigns, uh, the Woodlands Arts uh, Center campaign, after countless dollars were spent on feasibility studies, is now just, we'll look at it in a year or two, it's, it's gone. So these representatives need to be able to or be prepared to go to commissioner's court mm -hmm. 
stand there and get themselves on the agenda and say it is unconscionable for us to lose money right now because if ever there was a time for youth services, women's shelter, and you know, many of us are fortunate, we love our spouses enough that <laughs> lockdowns are an inconvenience or even fun, but think about the uh, horrid living conditions for some that where there's a literal powder keg going on inside that home. So the need for a women's shelter or emergency services or food donations. I myself for three years was a driver from Meals on Wheels in Houston. It goes beyond getting them to the next doctor's appointment, giving them food. I, I would take a two-hour route and it would stretch into six or seven hours because they would talk. That would be the only human contact many of them would have. And if I heard as a Republican, as a conservative, as a human being, that a duly elected official wanted to take that meal and my time out of that person's life, I would be the first one showing up, and I would bring the rest of that meals on wheels with me. Hi, Allison, or um, uh, the, the other organizations, my theater in the woodlands, the same thing as nonprofit. If I felt that I was being unduly punished budgetary-wise, if I was incumbent on county funds, I'm not, but if I were, mm -hmm. it would be on me to go to commissioner's court and lay my stake, lay my claim, and plead my case. Yeah, so it sounds like we agree on a lot of yes, a lot of that. Um, so I and I think and I think that Commissioner Nowak and Judge Keough were a little surprised at how many Republicans did agree with the Democrats that they are vital to the community. Um, so I think that that I think mm -hmm. it was a good lesson. And again, like I said, this year we did not have that fight. We had some other fights, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I'm glad to hear that. And and I was really happy at that time last year, that such a large number of Republicans did stand up, that it was truly a bipartisan. Well, uh, ironically, right. your big-ticket donors are capitalists, right? ergo <laughs> tending to be yep. fiscally conservative, if not outright Republican. Right. And half-joking, Republicans want to feel good mm -hmm. about stuff, and the best way is to make <laughs> it rain. There you go. I-M-H-O. Yep. And then the other side to that, and what has been in the news a lot lately, is then what do you do with law enforcement as the largest expenditure in a lot of city and mm, county budgets? A hot-button topic. Yes. So we all know that defund the police has been a slogan that actually has been around for a very long time, but has been getting a lot of airtime these days. And so my feeling, and again, my feeling not always echoed completely at the state level or even at the county level, is yes, defund the police. Okay. What does that mean? Does it mean that tomorrow we have no police and tomorrow if somebody breaks into your house, you're on your own? No. I heard it described to me perfectly the other day. It's about creating a society where you don't need the police. And that's a huge structural and cultural change from what we have now. But we have a roadmap for where to start and where to go from there. We have a system that's based on retribution and punishment. And not a system that's built on prevention and rehabilitation. And the more we can change our thinking and from retribution and punishment, to prevention and rehabilitation, the less we need what we have in place right now. 
And some of the easiest, fastest, do it right now steps we can take is to separate what jobs are really and truly law enforcement jobs and what jobs can be done by other entities. We have in Montgomery County a program that's highly praised and should be on some levels. The Sorry, did you say priced or praised? I was praised. 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 Okay. Maybe priced. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure I heard you yes. right on that. In Precinct 1, the constable and the justice of the peace have spent a lot of time and energy and money on creating a mental health unit as part of yes. the constable service. And it serves the entire county. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is stationed out of Precinct 1, but it is not specific to Precinct 1. They have right now 14 officers that are trained in mental health. I'm not 100% sure on if that is their entire job duties right now or it if is, they go it, back and forth. It is not. It does go back and forth. I, right. I have talked with the, right members that. of that department. The problem with that is, as that, and that is great, and it has cut down on, on arrests, as I understand it. It has cut down on calls to the sheriff and the non-mental health trained officers. It has cut down on a lot of, of issues. But it's still, at the end of the day, mental health patients, first responders being people who are trained to arrest and detain. And it is in the budget as salary for 14 officers. So what happens when the current constable and the current justice of the peace are voted out or retire? And the next round comes in. What stops them from saying, you don't need this, scrap this, let's go back to the way we had it before, and now you have exploded their budget for officers that have no interest in protecting the mental health community. Long-term solutions much better served by having a mental health unit that has responders that are trained from the beginning, have the mentality of mental health professionals and not police officers. What are your feelings? Again, fascinating concept, great hot button topic, uh, in no particular order, because yeah, I'm sure. trying to retain uh, what you said. Uh, first off, in regards to the current unit, let's say elections happen, because these are elected positions right. for constable, commissioner, whatever. If someone runs on the platform, well, we don't need mental health services, and that person gets voted in, that is the unfortunate byproduct of term limits elections in general. You know, if, uh, if a constituency feels that something's not working, and that being said, I believe that uh, Precinct 1's mental health unit is not only vital, but a great uh, vanguard to what should be implemented in every precinct, every constabulary, um, every city. So, so I want to make sure to get that out of the way that, unfortunately slash unfortunately, that's what elections are for. Uh, I can't imagine someone successfully running on that platform saying, ah, the sickos just need to be thrown in the drunk tank with everyone else, which was essentially what the opposing uh, constable would be saying. Uh, I'm a meliorist uh, at heart, which means I think when it, when, when it hits the fan, the veteran people do tend to come out. 
2016 would say otherwise, but go on. Okay, well, <laughs> next episode. Uh, I, I'm not saying in, in general stuff. I, I mean, where there's a, a common um, near irrefutable situation, a mental health, mental illness has become an irrefutable um, entity. Uh, even down to just a few short decades ago, you were shell-shocked. You were told to cowboy up. You, you know, big boys don't cry. Now, our fathers taught us. I taught my kids. They'll be teaching. They're teaching their kids. You know, it's okay to cry, to hurt, to wound. So, to to run on an anti mental health awareness platform, I would like to say they're not going to get very many votes. Well, what if they didn't run on that platform? Then it's up to the constituency to ask the candidate. What is your platform on this? But then you are leaving the most vulnerable section of society at the hands of people who have to decide that that's what they're going to ask. I don't disagree with that because you can say, well, okay, we have mental health. Now we're going to talk about budgeting. Now we're going to talk about tasers. Now we're going to talk about body cams. I mean, you can have someone who has their pet cause, for lack of a better, better word. I believe with the... Success rate, the the outstanding success rate of the uh, precinct one mental health unit that inspires you to say we're idiots not to have that. We need this too. So to to segue into what you were saying about our American judicial system tending to be punishment and retribution, retribution as opposed to rehabilitation. You're absolutely right that that was unfortunately the foundation. Uh, 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 for countless centuries before the United States of America was even a happy memory in somebody's eye. Uh, those changes take time. Again, much like going from shell shock, get over it, World War II and Vietnam to... to and I, actually, I think Vietnam was the turning point, post-Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Being come, Coming back, being called baby killers and stuff, and then seeing what happened to these people and the sympathy going, oh my gosh... So, relatively from the 70s, maybe 80s on, a lot of changes made the, the social awareness of there is mental health. There's, and the strongest man uh, can cry. And I would, this is going to sound funny. In the 80s, there was a movie, Clint Eastwood movie, called In the Line of Fire. He plays a Secret Service agent. And I remember when it came out because it was a very controversial scene where Clint Eastwood is opening up to Rene Russo about not being able to stop the Kennedy assassination, and he starts crying. And it's like, Clint Eastwood doesn't cry. You know, Secret Service agents don't cry. And that was the first movie to go, yes, he does. Yes, they do. It's okay. And that was actually a turning point yeah, in social awareness. I don't want to get bogged down in Montgomery County specifically. And sure. Oh, one, yeah. Because this happens everywhere, right? So if we're talking about a... a seismic change in the way we view police mm-hmm. officers nationwide in every development every community we should be distancing the mental health community from the police community distancing or if i'm if i may because i was trying to build gradually national um i am not this we pretty much agreed on the last topic not so much this <laughs> one i am a big proponent of not defunding the police. And unfortunately for those who have said, well, no, what we're meaning is like Scotty on the Enterprise. We're not taking money away. We're just diverting power from the shields to the warp drive. Then you have 
those like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who said, oh, no, we mean to fund the police, 50% or more. So, there, A, there's not a solid voice, plus the dictionary definition of, of defund means to remove money. There, and I think that even or, uh, AOC, mm-hmm. although I have not, I could be wrong, so I don't put words in the mouth, but that doesn't mean that the needs don't get met. It means that they don't get met by the police. And that's what I'm saying. Across the board, mental health is one part of it. Mm-hmm. But that it's, the prison system needs to be dismantled the way it is. It's the entire judicial system, the entire prison industrial complex that needs to be reworked. So, yes, she's saying, yes, cut them. But, yes, there are needs that need to be met. But an armed defense, you know, an armed division of the government mm. that's being increasingly militarized and increasingly hospitalized, if that's not a word, but it I think you know where, yeah. where I'm going, is not the way to get these needs met. Agreed in these extraordinary times. Now, of course, you know, we look back at previous <clears throat> protests come rioting. That did affect change. We can go back to the Boston Tea Party. We can go to uh, <clears throat> the riots, which, oh, Lord, I dropped the name, but they were the ones that were uh, crucial for gay rights. Stonewall. Thank you, Stonewall rights. Uh, um, civil rights, uh, the fact that I was born after the Civil Rights Act was first signed, but I was three years old before the last two states ratified mm-hmm. it. So it was... Even then, and in the face of guys, come on, it still took that number of years. I was sentient of the last two states ratifying the Civil Rights Act in 68, 69. Um, With police, much like some other essential career slash vocation services, more and more has been added to their, you must be this, you must be this, and I will include flight attendants, what we once cutely called stewardesses, and teachers, doctors, you know, me- medical. They have now become, <clears throat> it, it, if you're a doctor, you must be an accountant. Or if you're a teacher, you must be a social worker. If you are a cop, you must be well-versed in A, B, C, D, E. And so... Yes, change needs to be made. Now, unfortunately, I, I think on, on your stance about you're saying the judicial branch, there are three equal but separate branches, obviously legislative, uh, judicial, um, and executive. So to defund one of those branches, you're defunding a substantial, because the judicial is, of course, the court system. But it's not. it's like the episodes of Law and Order. The first half are the cops, the second half is the court. They are intertwined and integrated. You cannot defund a vast majority, 50%, 20%, whatever, of a third of our government branches. So what is the answer, or a possible answer? And that is with law enforcement, there needs to be specialized divisions. We have Monty, we have SVU, we have this squad, that squad. Absolutely. So going beyond the precinct one, every major metropolitan area or jurisdiction needs to have specialized, deputized even. Because I'm not a fan of, well, just if it's a domestic disturbance, just send over a social worker. I've had friends say that. 
it, yeah, it's, it's all fun and games until someone whoops out a gun and you've got a clipboard. Uh, I, I, I could get trite and say how many social workers ran into the Twin Towers on 9-11. How many police officers ran into Stonewall Douglas? Absolutely. But, of course, there are two different time frames here. And, of course, I am a big fan of evolution. And, and when you say flip-flop, when, not when, you, when one says flip-flop, I, I, I will be the first one to say, because uh, I, I believe President Obama was accused of flip-flopping on something and the answer was evolution. I'm like, yeah, I get that. But our system hasn't evolved. And, and what has evolved is our knowledge about human behavior and cause and effect and how our brains develop. And very little in our, in our system has evolved past that. There, we are behind the eight ball on that, absolutely. It has, science knows that our brains do not fully develop. Our ability to make rational decisions mm-hmm. does not develop until 23. Do we raise the voting age? Because there are those who want to lower it to 16. And so I'm with you. No, because those aren't irreversible decisions, as you've said. <laughs> They're not as irreversible as taking out a gun and shooting somebody. I'll, I'll grant you that. And But there could be far-reaching repercussions right. of... When I say immature, I'm not talking infantile, but non-mature right. voting but then, practices. Right. So we would have to, you know, representation, taxation without representation, right? I mean, if, if we're going to make them adults across the board and they can go fight in wars and they can hold a job and they can mm-hmm. pay taxes, then they should be able to. Absolutely agree. And it isn't a one-on-one. You, at 16, don't elect the president. Mm-hmm. Or anybody, really, with your one vote, except maybe your mud class, director. Class, <laughs> class presidents. Class presidents, your mud director. Um, that would be it. Is mud director, uh, does that include? Uh, can you vote in a mud district election? 18. Oh, darn. Right. Oh, yeah. man. I was, was going to run for mud. <laughs> I'm saying there's so few uh, votes in some of those. my grandchildren could, to vote yeah. for me. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue. Um, but our system is not, I mean, we just now made it illegal to give to house teenagers in an adult prison within adult population and there's huge pushback and there we just now put limits on the type of punishments that you can give to 16 17 year olds Mm -hmm. and there's huge pushback and these are babies 16 year olds Yes, in many cases, but yesterday, a 12-year-old was arrested in Greenspoint for brutally murdering someone who knew full well with his immature brain. What, unfortunately, there's no, I don't disagree with you as much as you may think I do right now. There's no magic switch that's flipped when you turn 18, much like when I turned 25 and my car insurance went down. There was no difference in my driving habits between the Tuesday before and the Wednesday after. So you have to have, at some point, well, this has to be, uh, even though it may defy common sense or, or, or logic. Uh, I had a cousin who was a sheriff's deputy once who could carry a gun legally but could not buy his own ammunition. This because is back in the age. 80s because of his age. And so, of course, yes, there are many, many issues, and I absolutely agree with you. There needs to be prison reform overhaul. There needs to be police presence overhaul. But the... I feel much like in the uh, the old adage: nothing good happens after two a.m. Nothing good happens with a knee jerk reaction. But this is not a knee jerk reaction. Just because it's now in the media 
does not mean that it's a knee-jerk reaction. The defund the police movement has been around for a very long time. But we have a very poor record in the United States of listening to the black and indigenous populations. And that's where it's come from. Historically, absolutely. So no, this is not a knee-jerk reaction. It's not an off-the-cuff decision. It's not an off-the-cuff roadmap. It's something that they have been building their recommendations and their, their analysis of for a very long time. There was a large push in the 70s to end the prison system as we know it. Mm-hmm. And what happens? We started the war on drugs, and we made black men look like crazed drug addicts. Uh, Ours, absolutely correct. On we're, that. we're coming up against the time, so maybe we take this, pick this up next time. But I would love that. At the base of it, our entire judicial system and our entire prison system and our entire law enforcement system is racist, and it was built on racism, and it was built to protect racism. And that is why the defund the police movement has come out of our black and indigenous communities. And just because now we have a lot of the white community waking up to the fact that, yes, black and brown people are being targeted, does not make this a knee-jerk reaction. Agreed with that. So. My explanation of, of that is the mass response. The There seems to be an across-the-board I'm shocked, shocked to find out that there's gambling going on in the establishment. I'm shocked to find that the statue's been standing for literally the last 29 presidential administrations, but people are looking at it for the first time. But that's how we got the American Revolution. Well, again, but so there's there are knee-jerk reactions where now statues, I don't want to get on the statue <laughs> thing, but abolitionists are going in the same harbor with racists. If, I, I feel if breaths were taken across the board, to say, okay, the voices have are being heard now. This is now a topic that's not going to go away with the next season of American Idol. There's no squirrel moment. It is in sharp relief. But historically, white people have a very short-term memory problem. And so I'll say Americans in general, yes, yes. white people, but um, so, this is me on the outside looking in, having grown up all over the world, I will agree with you on that one. So, yes, you do have to seize the moment because the next shiny object could take the moment away. So, yes, there is... I'm so sad that we're running out of time because, you know, I want to talk about the Sinn Féin arm of the Irish Republican Army when I lived in England, that when they stopped blowing Herods up and Mm -hmm. killing Earl Mountbatten, you know, members of the royal family, and got a political foot in the door with Sinn Féin, the troubles ended eventually. Mm-hmm. Well, under Ian Paisley, of, of all people, and that's just, if, if I'm talking foreign language to someone, I'm sorry. But to think that Reverend Ian Paisley got got a membership of Parliament was just beyond the pale. But now, as a result, the Irish troubles are largely gone. Mm-hmm. So to get your foot in the door, or, uh, I'm sorry, how, how did you say, to take the opportunity? To seize the moment. Seize yeah. the moment, thank you. Yes, but there are ways. And unfortunately... I believe the demographic of those who are most vociferous right now in Portland or Seattle, if you did an on-the-street interview with, name me two abolitionists, name me uh, uh, how long this has been going on, because you said this has been years. When did you first hear of this? Was this taught to you in school? Uh, when was the Civil Rights Act even uh, ratified? You'll get crickets, because 
we're following the loudest voice. So that makes it less... No, but it... To be... The Saturday Night Live skip popped in my head. I think, you know, chanting makes it important. It's, there needs to be on both sides, on all sides. What, what I feel this nation has been sadly lacking for the longest time is a singular voice of reason and authority to see us through some very dark times that have been a powder keg. If you remember 2019, we were, we couldn't wait for 2020 to happen because 2019 sucked. <laughs> now we could just, if only. <laughs> you know, someone said, hold my beer, <clears throat> murder hornets. And we have been lacking um, in that voice, the, the fireside chat voice, the we have not yet begun to fight voice, the we choose to go, go to the moon voice, the never have so, many, so much to so few voice. It's not there. Not from my party, not from yours right now, um, and not from anyone in a position of authority who can say, okay, let's take this passion and let's mold, mold the anger into something more productive. Oh, and I feel there's so many reasons why, but again, that clock. Yes, right? <laughs> well, if, if you haven't scraped the bottom of the barrel too bad, I'd love to come back at some point. Yeah, I think that would be great because I think we definitely have just started, so we could could keep on going. Okay. Maybe, so maybe next week. We'll see what's Next going week, on with I'll Brian. I'll take my busy social agenda you? and you check with him. All right, great. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. And y'all have been watching Purple Politics, a discussion between the red and the blue here in the Woodlands, brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us on Woodlands Online, our Roku channel, over the air on KVQT HD21, or listen to this on the Woodlands podcast page, as well as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcast. If you have questions, comments, or topics for a future show, please email us at woodlandspurplepolitics, all one word, at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed during this show are mine and my co-host alone and not reflective of any particular political party or organization.